0: you're listening to the clear creek resources podcast from clear creek community church located in the bay area of houston
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan, thanks for listening today. On this episode, I had a conversation with Aaron Lutz and Lance Lawson, and we talked about the question, is God in control? And if he is, what does that mean for our freedom? And so hopefully this is a helpful conversation for you, especially as we were in this Revelation series right now, and we're seeing that God truly is in control of all things, and that matters for our everyday life. All right, guys. Thanks for being on the podcast again. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. All right, so we're uh, we are full force into the Revelation series, and as we go throughout this whole series, I think one of the things that that stands out is how uh, how God is sovereign; He's in control mm-hmm. over all of all, all of history, and uh, which is one of the things that I think gets people all excited about Revelation because they're seeing all these things happen that it's like it's out of our control, and the mm-hmm. world is coming to an end, and it's like, oh wow, like God is really going to be in control of all these things um, but obviously what we see as well is not just in these future things but but also God is in control of of all things now present as he always has been so we talk about some of that today. Is God in control? And if so, what does that mean for our everyday sure. life? And so that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, maybe we should begin by defining the term sovereignty or sovereign. That's a that's a word that gets thrown out a lot, that
0: God is sovereign. So what is what does sovereignty mean? Yeah, I mean, I think sovereignty comes from the idea of a sovereign or a ruler or a king or lord, right? So to talk about God's sovereignty is to talk about his kingship, his godness, what makes him in control. So we talk about his authority. We talk about his control, his presence, uh, but it all stems from the fact that he's the king. He's God. Yeah. And so what do we see this showing up in scripture?
1: Just maybe some, a few examples for anyone who struggled to, to see that or even believe that.
2: You guys remember a few summers back when we, I don't even remember how many years ago, but we did that, uh, the standalone service where each campus pastor got to preach their oh, like, life passage, life passage yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, Uh, mine uh, really are two. And the first one is Genesis one, one in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, 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 Yeah. Right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you're a Christian person that believes in the Bible, that verse from the outset shapes your worldview, at least it should. It doesn't, there are different ways to interpret the next two chapters. uh, Whether you believe the earth is young or old Mm -hmm. and what the creation account is really doing, whether it's describing the act of creation or the, uh, the bringing about of order from chaos, whatever you believe about all that. Verse one in the beginning, God created everything Mm -hmm. should shape what you, what you believe about everything that exists. God is over it. It belongs to him. And so for me that, that's just so foundational and has been formational in the way I read the rest of the Bible, in the way I see the world, in the way I process things happening in my life, that everything belongs to God and he's over all things. You said that was one of your verses. What's the other one? Something about a moon. Is that what <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's your, your... No, man, it's Colossians one, uh, okay. really the second half of chapter one with the preeminence of Christ, that, cool. that he is the image of the invisible God. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Well, think about like creation. God is
0: sovereign over creation. He's He's the first mover, right? Uh, in Revelation in the series, we've used the word sovereignty in all the sermons that we've had so far. And you see in Revelation one, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So not just the first mover, I'm the last mover, if there is such a thing. But God is the beginning and the end. Uh, Jesus reiterates that, and you know later in the chapter, I'm the first and the last. I hold the the keys to death and Hades. There's where some places we see God's sovereignty in the beginning and the end, but even all the way in between. I think about passages like Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, right? And then it says, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps, seas being places of chaos, even the places that seem like chaos to us, he's in control. Uh, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth wind from his storehouses, even the weather God is in control of. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. That's Psalm 135. Yeah. I think about the words of Jesus seen in, in Matthew six, where he's talking about,
1: uh, the birds of the air, you yeah. know, how, uh, they neither, neither see sow, sow, nor reap. Uh, but God feeds them. The heavenly father feeds them. He talks about that a little bit later on in Matthew 10, where he talks about, uh, uh, the, the sparrows, you know, mm-hmm. the, that none of them fall to the ground apart from your, your heavenly father without God knowing and, and being sovereign, all, all the, those things. And so even just like the animal realm yeah. as well, um, which makes me kind of think about how, you know, we talk about these natural phenomenons, animals and, um, you know, weather patterns and things like that, that the Bible says that God is sovereign over all those things. And so, how do we, how do we, um, I guess, mesh that with our understanding of biology, our understanding mm-hmm. of the natural world, climate, how the weather works? Because now we can actually. Describe what's happening in those things. You know, you, you mentioned like clouds. Like we know why clouds exist and how w- weather patterns work. Well, maybe the original writers, you know, for them it was a mystery. And mm-hmm. so, is this just an example of it's the God of the gaps that mm-hmm. we don't really know where it comes from? It must be God. Well, now that like in our modern sensibilities, we know where it comes from, and so we can explain it. So therefore, God must not be involved. Is that a true statement hmm. or how do we see those coming no, together? No, I think that's a problem Jesus? with modern
2: life is because yeah. we, we know more, we understand more about the way the world works, the universe functions. And so that, I think that's a product. Because we can understand something means uh, God must not have been involved or, or we can remove God from the process. But that's just, uh, it's just not true. There's no way that the, the universe came to be without some mechanism, something happening. And so, we believe that, that God was the one who started all things. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the, the, the scriptures you've read and the picture of God in uh, in the Bible is that he's not just this powerful sovereign deity who got things going and then kind of took, took his hands off and leaned back to see the what happened The watchmaker happens. who set it in motion. Right. He's not that, really. Yeah. It's not like he got the world spinning and just like, well, we'll see, see mm-hmm. how this plays out. Like, no, he's personal and he's intimate and he steps into creation as Jesus. Yeah. He shows up when Adam and Eve sin, he he's there at, at every turn because he's deeply personal as well as being over all things. And so, man, you know, what a picture of, of who God is. Yeah, so you, you mentioned
1: about sin. And so we did a whole podcast on this. Like, if God is good, how can there be evil in the mm-hmm. world? But um, how do those things mesh, mesh together in your world? Like how does how do we understand God is good? And so it's one thing to say, yeah, the, the creation is all perfect, but yet there's brokenness in the world. Adam and Eve sinned. Did God just let that one slip by? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, yeah, how does, how does evil exist if God really is in
2: control? Yeah, I mean, I guess... Another question that goes with that is: Was God surprised mm. by their sin? Was God surprised that they rebelled against Him? And and certainly not, because we see later in Scripture that Jesus was always the plan for creation from the very beginning. Ephesians tells us that 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 Jesus was always Plan A. God didn't create everything and then was surprised by sin and said, "Oh, well, now we need a Plan B. Let's let's come up with something." He he has given us. Uh, in In some way, an ability to be free from him mm. if we choose to do so, and what we see is that every person has chosen to do so. Mm. every one of us has chosen to to be free of him and to rebel against him and so that's that's how sin entered the picture that's how sin continues to happen and uh, and now we sit back and wonder, well, why is there evil in the world? Did God create evil? Well no, we did yeah we're the ones that
0: bring it in. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but like God is both sovereign and man is still responsible. And so when it comes to evil, we've introduced evil into the world. So you see that in Genesis 1 or Genesis 3, but you also see it later, even when like Joseph is talking like what you meant for evil. So we're talking about evil there, God has used for good, right? So God is sovereign over even the evil in the world. And I I think where I struggle even having this conversation is, is once you start talking about God's sovereignty, his control over things, this is always the first question people ask, right? Like, well, what about about all the evil in the world, what about all the wrong things that have happened? But we have to like when you when you live in the scriptures, God's sovereignty is always celebrated. It's never questioned with uh, His intent. He's always trusted as this just and good God, because that's who He is. It's part of His godness. But so is His sovereignty. His control is is part of His 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 goodness as well. I, I think one of the
1: challenges is you see throughout Scripture um, examples where um even man's sin is is uh is attributed to God as being uh, active behind that somehow but not in a way that makes him evil because mm. God is infinitely good so i mean even in the passage you mentioned in in genesis i think uh i think what was said was as for you you meant for evil against me but God meant it for good so yeah. the same word of of there, Mint, there's yeah. there's people acting on both sides. These people meant this. God meant this. So he he was active in that, but yet in a, in a way that that wasn't causing evil. But he was redeeming in that. And I think that's where it gets all all messy in our mm-hmm. minds. Is it's you know it's, some some might try to explain it, saying, oh, okay, well, where God is good. Here's his intent. We took it in the wrong direction, and God, you know, God was like, hey, listen, that wasn't that wasn't me. That was y'all. But even in scripture, we see somehow God is still an active agent in our rebellion against him, although it
2: does not make him evil in any way. Right. I mean, yeah, no, it certainly doesn't make him evil, but, but this is one of those places where I think we're approaching this whole conversation, uh, from a place where we we can develop understanding about the world, and so we think we've mastered it. Like I, I just mm-hmm. think about all of the scientific discoveries have allowed us to believe that we have mastered certain aspects of life or the way the world works, and so we think we can understand something about God to the point where we can master this knowledge of Him or or um, get a full picture of Him. But but He is. Uh, he is so much more than we could fathom and so we're we're just like scratching at the surface of who he is with our own limited understanding mm-hmm. and and we do that with an arrogance of the of the way that we live like well we should be able to know everything mm-hmm. we we can't know all of this mm-hmm. so when you're talking about the uh, where evil fits in the world uh, so I'm I read uh, this quote from um, Augustine that's actually from a book called The Skeletons in God's Closet by Joshua Ryan Butler, came across this book about a year ago. It is, um, man, it's it's in some ways shaping how I think about uh, hell and judgment and holy war. It's like, it's, it's really interesting. So, it's like deeply thinking material. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, he quotes Augustine. He says this. He says um, that... Evil is an aggressive, divisive parasite that shatters the human community, and it's unleashed into the world through us. Hmm. Like, evil didn't come from God. God isn't responsible for evil. It It's unleashed into the world through us, and that gives rise to a conception that we have freedom from God and others, that it is diametrically opposed to the freedom for God and others for which we're intended for God. So, that goes on to describe what he's talking about in the rest of this chapter, but... Um, we're the ones that brought evil to the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so what does that freedom look like? How would you define
0: our freedom within God's sovereignty? The way a lot of the scriptures are going to talk about it is God is both in control and man is held responsible for their sin, right? So, and, and not even just their sin, for they're held responsible for the good choices that they make too. So God is sovereign and man is responsible. We use that phrase a lot. Uh, and so we do have freedom in the sense that our decisions matter and that that what we ultimately decide are gonna have consequences or rewards to them. Uh, but to say that we're free, meaning we're outside of God's control, uh, goes against the idea of God's sovereignty. And so we're not free and that we're out of God's uh, you know, authority and his presence and his sovereignty, but we're free to make decisions that really matter, that really affect real life things too. Yeah. All right. So how do those fit together? God's
1: sovereignty, human human freedom, if those seem to be in conflict at some points. I mean, I think one of the things that we first try, try to understand, we, we talk about this in a number of different topics too. And maybe this is alluding to what you're talking about, Lance, is we're talking about theology, which is the study of God. We're trying to understand the mind of God as he has revealed himself, and we're just scratching the surface of a, an infinite power, infinite knowledge. And so it comes with a lot of humility and just recognizing that, we, you know, yeah, this can be true and this can be true. And and somehow in God's sovereignty that, yes, they they both are, are true, that he is sovereign, he is in... He's in control, but also we have freedom, and we do have responsibility um, and so yes, both are true and mm. and they don't conflict, even though you know they might seem to conflict based on our understanding of what sovereignty and freedom mean
2: yeah I mean I think about the times in scripture when when God shows up in a person's life when they're when they're in active rebellion against him i mean we're we keep talking about Genesis, but you think about Cain and Abel mm. and and what does God say to Cain as he's struggling with uh, with God's acceptance of Abel's sacrifice and rejection of his? He says, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. Because I think God's aware that, th- that there is something in us that that wants to have our own freedom from him, to rebel against him, but he doesn't want that for us. And so there are times when he steps in, like in that story and others in scripture, where, where he... He is compelling us not to do that. But then there are times where he allows humans to rebel against him and bring evil into the world and hurt each other. And um, for whatever reason, He he's chosen to allow the world to work that way. Yeah.
1: I think about like this past summer when we were preaching through Isaiah, uh, the passage that one of the passages I was assigned to preach on was Isaiah 11, and leading up to mm-hmm. Isaiah 11, it talks about the Assyrian Empire that is, is coming upon them, and so that's why you know uh, uh, chapter 11 begins with like the the uh, the stump that's been cut off, and there's the root that's going to come back. But before that, it's all about how Assyria is going to come and chop you all down like like trees, it refers to as the Assyrians as God's acts. Like he's going to do that. Well, then towards the end though of chapter 10, before you get to 11, it's before he's going to deal with Israel, he deals with the Assyrians and says like, you know, uh, Isaiah 10, 10.6, 10.6, woe to uh, Assyria, the rod of my anger. So he calls them the rod of my anger. So they are an instrument of his judgment upon his people. But he's also saying, woe to you, like judgments upon you. You are responsible for all what you are committing against my people. And so there's this tension of, on one hand, God is sovereign behind their... their. Uh, National movement to overtake the people of Israel, but yet he's saying they're evil for doing that. Mm. Um, and that does, and God's not evil in that. Um, they're the ones who are responsible for their sin, but yet God's maintaining his sovereignty over all those things. And so, you know, you look at passages of scripture like that, it, it's almost like you can see that in your own life as well, that even in your most rebellious and most mm. sinful times, with this like hindsight, the Holy Spirit like working in you, you're like, so, at those moments where I thought I was rebelling against God and going against Him, I now see that even in that, that God was still working in my heart and using my own rebellion against Him to to draw me back to Him. You know, um, so I don't know. I just think about how that looks in our own life. It's interesting to to, to see that showing up. Both
0: those things. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that. Uh we often think that these are mutually exclusive things, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility or man's choice. And the scriptures are just really comfortable with a lot more mystery than our current culture is. And so it's not just like, well, God of the gaps, like I don't understand it. So God is sovereign, but it's just this willingness to trust the heart of God versus like, I have to figure out every little piece of this. And so just coming back to the scriptures, the scriptures are really clear that these two terms are not mutually exclusive. Yes, you can have decisions that really matter and you're held responsible for them. Uh, And Genesis and Isaiah, but also in like the early church. Like I think about Acts two and even Acts seventeen, Peter's sermon and Paul's sermons. That like there, you know, in Peter's first sermon in uh, at Pentecost, he says this Jesus that uh, delivered up according to the definite and foreknowledge or definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. So he's blaming the the nation of Israel for killing Jesus. Uh, but then he says um, later on, he says God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. Um, so he's holding them responsible for killing Jesus, but it's also God's foreknowledge and plans. Like Peter's comfortable with it. Paul's later comfortable with it too uh, in Acts 17. And so we have to become a lot more comfortable with the, the uh, apparent tension that is in the scriptures that the first century church was okay with.
2: Yeah, And, and even if, if you keep reading that text, it goes into what you're saying about the way God, God works through that. Uh, it says that after hearing Peter say those things, they were cut to yeah. the heart. Yeah. They were cut to their heart because they, uh, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. Like what we did was wrong. Yeah, God was sovereign over it, and He worked in it, and and then three thousand people responded, and the church is born. Mm-hmm. And then that that choice has really positive effects. Yeah, right. Uh, and God's sovereign
0: over those choices as well. Yeah,
1: and I think it comes back to really their worldview, like their historical yeah. understanding of how God worked. I mean, you look back at just like the Old Testament. Um, you know, battles where God is, is working on behalf of his people. I mean, obviously, they're attributing the victory to God or the loss to God, but yet they're taking up whatever weapons and going and fighting these battles. And so they know that, you know, this is our responsibility, but all but we know the, the victory belongs to the Lord. And... Um, so you know, you think about Paul and Peter; they grew up hearing these stories. So, not seeing a conflict that, yeah, this requires action on our part and responsibility on our part, uh, whether that is a, a positive thing that God's calling us to do or rebelling against God. But yet, God is still in control and sovereign. All those things, and He's and He's moving all those things ultimately for, for His His glory. Yeah. Um, so, what does this shape? our lives or how does it shape our lives how, how do we practically apply this idea of god's sovereignty in our freedom and how we carry about
2: the uh, the christian life i guess i think first for me the just going back to the very beginning of uh, starting with god's sovereignty mm-hmm. if if god is who the bible says that he is and who he's proven to be throughout history and who he's proven to be in my own life then he he's the king like mm-hmm. you started talking like I don't live in a democracy. I I live in a kingdom, and He's the King. And so, good, bad, uh, sunny, rainy, like whatever happens in my life, He's there, and He's over it. And and there there is a security that comes with that. There's a responsibility I have that comes with that. And so, for me, I think just my life is first and foremost shaped by His His sovereignty over all things before I consider my responsibility in anything. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I think when it comes to sin in our life, there's a call towards obedience because we're held responsible for our sin. And so it's not just like, well, this was going to happen. God's sovereign over all those things. No, you're held responsible for your sin. So we have to first place our faith in Jesus so that his death and resurrection is applied to us. And so we're forgiven for our sin. That's like salvation 101. Uh, But also when it just comes to everyday obedience, like God is playing good things to come from our obedience. And so if God is our King, if he is the sovereign, one of the foundational things we talk about a lot around here is we listen and Obey the King. That's part of our role as citizens in the kingdom.
1: Yeah, I think about how this should you know you alluded to this to Lance. Just it should give us hope. It should give us hmm. trust in in what God is doing. That even in really challenging and terrible circumstances that are um, maybe self imposed or even the ones that are not self imposed. You know we're just going through a, a really really hard season. That we can trust that God is is there. He's present and that He is powerful. Hmm. Which I mean, it doesn't—it doesn't doesn't resolve things all in our minds. A lot of times, that just creates some tension for us. But what it doesn't do is it is it shouldn't leave us hopeless. It shouldn't leave us feeling like, um, you know, that everything is just determinism or fatalism. That like, man, we're just doomed to do whatever God says. And so, I mean, you know, there's no, you know, you're just just waiting it out until the end of life, and God's just going to do whatever He wants to do anyway. But I think that has like some practical application when it comes to to prayer. Like what is the role of of prayer? You know, when you're asking God to to move in someone's life, someone's body, maybe they're going through a a sickness. If God is sovereign and in control, why doesn't he heal this person? Why doesn't he do this in my life
0: the way that I'm, I'm hoping to do that? Um, so I don't know if you have some thoughts into that. I mean, that's a whole nother yeah, <laughs> yeah. topic, but. I think that's one of the most common objections people have with God's providence and God's sovereignty is like, well, then why pray? If God has already determined what all is going to happen, why pray? But one, the scriptures call us to, so it's an act of obedience to pray. And also when we pray, things change and things happen. It doesn't mean God doesn't know. But things change. So I think about like James 4 where uh, he's going to say like you don't have because you don't ask. There's a direct correlation to whether we pray or not. We don't and things don't happen. I also think about, man, I went to the hospital with a guy that had COVID this week and his oxygen level was like 88 and we're in the car. The dude could barely breathe and we pray in the car on the way to the hospital and we get into the the hospital room. Not five minutes has passed uh, and they test his oxygen. He's at 93. It's like God answered a prayer right then and there and like what we said in the car mattered when we got to the hospital. And God was sovereign over all of that, but I got to participate in that by praying for this guy. And so prayer still matters, even though God's sovereign. And I think it's interesting to even think about the
1: the depth of God's sovereignty in a situation like that, or an answer to to really any any prayer. So we'd say, okay, God God is sovereign. He's in control over the answer to that prayer, but he's also sovereign in control of us even having that desire to, to pray. So somehow God is prompting us, moving us to pray, to ask him to do something mm. that he ends up doing. Yeah. And then even kind of what we were talking about earlier in that situation um, in the hospital, with the the oxygen level, we could probably have a, a, a medical explanation sure. for that. Absolutely. But yet, you know, we believe that that God mm-hmm. is still behind, like that he's using the, whatever the medical explanation, the biological yep. things that are going on in there, that like that was an answer of prayer. So yep. yes, we might be able to explain it from a medical standpoint, but also
0: we believe that God is behind it in a very powerful, real way. Yeah, And there's some purpose that God is using in prayer uh, to answer the prayer in and of itself. So like when you start to pray for peace, part of God answering that prayer is like you experience peace when you're in the presence of God. And so he starts to calm our hearts and in his presence, like he's already answering it in the act of us praying. And so there's some things that God is doing in, our, in us when we pray, not just in the actions that happen because we ask God to do them. It makes me think about a conversation I was having with uh, with Tanner this this week, yeah.
1: and he was talking about you gathering up with elders at the East right. 96 campus before the service recently, and one of your elders started praying for people who might be walking in with doubt, yeah. and he said then he, was, he said is what is interesting because then what happened was when then Aaron went up on stage or whatever and he was praying for the congregation. He says that you you mentioned like people who doubt, like maybe, you know, if you're coming in with doubt today and you prayed Mm -hmm. for some of those people. So then Tannis started just thinking, how interesting is it that somehow God put to pray for the people with doubt on the the heart of an elder, Mm -hmm. which then sort of like stirred up something in you to to mention that or to pray that in front of other people, which may have been heard by someone who actually is struggling with doubt that day. Yeah. And to think about how God sovereignly moves in the prayers of his people together to, to do something that we think, wow, I have no idea that like, that's what was going on. Yeah. I just, you know, I heard him say doubt and I was like, I kind of like that. And, you know, yeah. you don't know, maybe that was really what what spoke to someone that day is God speaking to their their own doubt. So. Mm-hmm.
2: I think also when we, when we talk about prayer and when we think about prayer, often we're focused on, asking God to do a specific thing. And this fits with, with what you're talking about. But but when we read about prayer in scripture, that's not always what God's people are doing. They're, they're asking for God's presence. They're asking mm-hmm. for God's help in walking through what it is they're 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 going through. And so, you know, the people in scripture are not always asking, God, come fix this problem. They're saying, God, help me walk through this problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I, I think... With with that in mind, when we consider the evil that we face in the world, when you lose a job or when a loved one dies, or you're just going through something terrible, that, that it, it's not always that we should stop and ask God to make that thing right. Mm. It's that what we need is him in that moment because he is sovereign over everything. And because he knows that evil exists in the world and that that terrible things are going to happen, but he is the alpha and the omega. He's going to make things right at the end. And so what we need in that moment is more than anything else is just his presence and his uh, help to get through that dark day.
1: Yeah, it goes back to the way that Aaron was defining sovereignty from the very beginning. Yeah, uh, It comes from a, a definition from a theologian, John Frame. He talks about it's sovereignty encompasses Control, authority, and presence. And a lot of times we talk about sovereignty. We think of control, right. um, mm-hmm. and that's what most of our conversation even today has been about. But presence is is a real part of God's sovereignty as well,
2: right. in, our, in the world and in our hearts. And I, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's like you know when your kids, when something happens or they get hurt, and, and as the dad you show up, you can't fix the pain of the skin mm-hmm. knee, but you holding them and being there changes that, their experience. Quickly. Yeah. And for me, that's that's one picture of what God's presence is like. It doesn't always take away our pain uh, or, or fix the situation, but it just changes our experience with it. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, just the other practical application for me in God's sovereignty is the way that I've learned to approach God as God. Uh, and so I'll ask a question here in a second, but I'll tell you, like, man, I struggled with the, the theology of God's sovereignty and providence for a while. I mean, like, you read through my Grudem book as I'm working through this, I have all kinds of questions because I was working through it as I was reading this. Because for a while, and I'll just go down this rabbit trail for a second, for a while, I attributed God's sovereignty, God's control to theologians who held that belief that were so so arrogant that it turned me off from the actual truth of the scriptures. And so for a long time, I resisted that theology. And I'm curious if y'all had similar experiences. We can talk about that in a second, but the more I've read scripture, the more I see God's sovereignty in the scriptures, it is always, I think I said this earlier, it's always celebrated. It's never something that people live in fear of, or well, then I can blame God for this. It's always like, how great is God that he is in control of all things? How worthy of our worship is he? And so people worship in response to God's sovereignty, not quite, question it. And so I think the way that practically that's changed for me is I've learned to trust God in new ways, understanding that he is sovereign and control over all things, both the good and the evil happens in my life. I'm like, man, I can rest in God's sovereignty. Um, I won't go into all details, but my family has a big decision we're about to make as a family. And we don't know what the right answer is. And it's like, it's, I've told people it is a practice and trusting in God's sovereignty. Like I'm not rooting for one solution or one answer the, over the other, like, you know, success or failure. I'm just trusting that whatever happens as we make this decision is God's ultimate plan. Now, I have responsibility in that. I got to make a decision in that. But man, I I find so much comfort in just trusting that God's in control over it. And I'm not, and I can't control it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But I'm curious, have y'all struggled with this theology? How have y'all worked through this in the past? Is like seminary or Grudem or just life? How have you worked through God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in your own lives?
2: Uh, So when I came to Clear Creek Community Church, I came from a very different faith background and upbringing that really didn't talk much about God's sovereignty and focused, at least in my experience, more on man's responsibility. So if your life is going well, or if your life is in the dumps, that probably has a lot to do with you. And uh, when it comes to, to God's grace and his salvation, it sure they talked about grace, but it really felt like I had to earn it. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I came to Clear Creek, and this was long before I worked here, I realized, I think they believe different things than I was taught. <laughs> so like, I need to find out what this, what, what these people believe. And so I picked up that book and over the course of the year with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law, actually, we, we met for lunch once a week and we read through it and um, really wrestled with with what what to believe about some of these things when it comes to God's sovereignty, especially over salvation. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I remember talking with Bruce, um, again, before I worked here and just talking about this and saying, oh, look, I'm struggling because this is where I come from. This is what I was taught. And this is what I I, I think I believe, but I, don't, but, but I can't deny what the scriptures say about yeah. the way God works. Like God chooses people. God activates faith in them. Uh, but also our experience with life is that like, I don't feel like a puppet mm-hmm. and so that's this what what Bruce said it was really helpful for me he's like all right so uh, do you believe that God is the one who saves you and I'm like well yeah I my my choice can't save me God is the one who has acted to save me and he said like do you believe he made you put those clothes on today <laughs> or decide what to eat here at this lunch like no you your experience is that you're making choices, is that you you get to function in this world as an agent. And, and uh, so he's like, the answer is yes. Yeah. Both are true. Yeah. yeah. Both are true. God, God is over all things and responsible for all things uh, and and even behind all things. But, but also, we have response to the thing we keep saying. We have mm-hmm. responsibility. We have freedom. Uh, we have freedom to rebel against him mm-hmm. uh, as well as to turn toward him
1: yeah yeah I mean I probably had some similar struggles not so much in just a a, a church background but just the assumption of of having complete free will and not really ever question it because that that's your experience is that you make these free choices and so whenever we're reading books or reading seeing in the bible these examples of like well God is 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 in control of those things and you're thinking well okay is that, is that a conflict with my experience of, of freedom and free will? And um, yeah, just wrestling with that through systematic theology books and, mm. and scripture um, and then coming to,
0: coming to that same place. But yeah. I'll wrap up this part of that, but I, I would say because of my resistance, because of arrogance of people who've held this theology, it was it was a pushback. So there, we talk about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right beliefs. Orthopraxy is the right way of practicing that. And so I want to hold the truths that I see in God's scripture that feel like God has revealed over time, but I want to do so in a way with great humility, right? If, if anything, God's sovereignty shouldn't make me an arrogant person. It should make me the most humble person right. because I'm not in control. And so uh, that changes the way practical Live in in response to God's sovereignty. as well, well,
2: I think you've already brought it up, but God's sovereignty in Scripture is celebrated. Yeah, it's not. People don't stand up and say, "Look at us," because God loves us. Mm-hmm. They they say, "Wow, can you believe that mm-hmm. God loves us?" And so the the conversation in Scripture, mostly around God's sovereignty, is among people who believe. Yeah. It's among people who belong to Him. It's not something that uh, that people use to point a finger or anything. It's it's just celebrated because yeah. it's such a beautiful aspect of who God is and how we get to experience him.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So final question here that I want us to interact with, and we'll, we'll go along as we need to on this <laughs> one. But because this is a pastor's round table, I think one of the questions that a lot of times we, we get from people, it has to do with God's will for my life, mm-hmm. You know, the person's life who's asking this question. So uh, how do I know what God's will is for the major I should do in college or the job I should take or the person I'm going to marry? Um, does God have one person that I'm gonna marry? Does God have a plan for all these things? And if so, how do I discover what God's will is for my life and live into that? because I think a lot of times people feel a little bit stuck. Yeah. Especially those, you know, those formative transitional stages of life.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of times when people ask those kind of questions, they're like, okay, who am I supposed to marry? And then they dive into the scriptures hoping to find the answer. It's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, your wife's name isn't <laughs> in Acts 4, you know? <laughs> like uh,
2: If her name's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jezebel. <laughs> My wife's name's Bethany.
0: That's a city. Like, what does yeah. that mean? You know? Uh, <laughs> is that how you found it? Yeah, That's exactly. I was flipping you through, it through and said you know, like, this yeah, one. Bethany. I'm so like, right, looking for Bethany. Bethany. No, I think God has revealed certain aspects of his will and the scriptures. So when you're obedient to the scriptures and you trust, so listen, God is in sovereign control over who you're going to marry, what your major is going to be, but he's also sovereign over the history of your life. That's led you to that point. He's sovereign over the mind that he gave you the arms and legs that he gave you to make real decisions that really matter. And so um, I don't think we need to get so caught up in like finding the name of our wife in the scriptures or the school you should go to, but being uh, obedient to what is God's revealed will and then trust trusting that he's in, in sovereign control over whatever decision you make and whatever school you go to and whoever you marry, that, that, is, that God's in control over those things too. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, yeah. And I would say there's a significant portion of the scriptures devoted to wisdom. Yeah, And so uh, I think that we should seek wisdom when we're faced with the decision. So uh, should we should absolutely be obedient to the scriptures. We should seek God's presence in our lives, but then we should we should think deeply uh, uh, about what is the wise thing to do. So when you're when you're weighing choices about this college or that college, or quit my job and change careers, mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. it is, like what's the wise thing to do? And there may not be a an unwise choice. Mm-hmm. That that's when it's like, all right, well, I could do either. Yeah. Uh, but but maybe when you think about wisdom and God's desire for His people to live with wisdom and God's promise to answer His people's request for wisdom, that 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 certainly plays a big part, that we should... We should And seek wise counsel in that. Certainly there are people you can go to that would help you wade through this so you're not just in your own little echo chamber yeah. trying to make decisions. But.
0: And I think that's one thing I celebrate you talk about is people come ask us that question. Usually I'll turn around and be like, man, thank you for asking that question. Because what you're doing is you're seeking wise counsel. And you're, you're not really expecting me to find your wife's name in the scriptures. You're asking someone that you trust is walking with God to walk with you as you make a decision. And so uh, f- having community, God has provided that. And your history as well. He's led you to a community community. community of faith that's going to help you make the wise decision that is ultimately God's will for your life. And I think it's, it's demonstrating a
1: heart that desires to hear from God and be led and guided by God. And I think, you know, even if you, I think God delights in the heart of the person who even say that I'm going to, I'm going to go to this school. I'm not I'm not exactly sure if this is what God wants me to do, but I'm going to go to that school or I'm Mm going to take this job and I'm going to do it as faithfully as I can. And I'm going to follow Jesus and, you know, all, all my time, all my energy, everything I see as a gift from Him that I'm going to use for His glory. Uh, and I think in the end, we'll say, okay, God really was behind it, even though I felt a little mm-hmm. bit unsure here. But when I got into it and my heart was, was wholly trying to dev- be devoted to God in that, um, I got to see God do some pretty amazing things.
2: So. Yeah, but also, I mean, think of the heart of God, what you already know about Him is that He doesn't want to control your life, He wants you to seek Him mm-hmm. and to then. Live in his image out in the world to like to create and to shape the world and to make your own decisions and to reflect him to everyone and to all of creation. so what he really wants is what we 're talking about is that is that you would have humility and seek wisdom and then and then go do things that bring him glory so it's not like he's got this list of things that he hopes happens for your life. Uh, and a certain person, any of that. Yeah,
1: and I'd also probably add with that too is that even if things don't turn out the way that you think they should, that doesn't mean that God wasn't somehow right. sovereign over all those things. You know, someone's like, "Man, I really felt like I was supposed to marry this person," and it ended in divorce ten years later, or whatever it was. I guess I wasn't. I guess I made the wrong call. I guess God really wasn't mm-hmm. over all those things. And you know, you can say anything about a job. I thought this job was great, and it really was for a little bit of time, and then after that, it, it turned out it wasn't. The dream job I hoped for—I think that that guy can still be sovereign over the things that that still seem to fall apart. And um, because God, God has a different aim than than our happiness all the time, you know, yep. He's ultimately aiming for His glory and, and our joy in His glory. Um, so it's kind of messy, but <laughs> that's just that's just part of life, part of walking with God, trusting in Him. Anything else? We got figured out. I think so yeah yeah. that's why they, they put us on these things alright <laughs> right, well thanks guys yeah man well thanks for listening to this episode if you want to watch it or share it with a friend make sure you go to clearcreateresources.org where you can also find articles and a whole bunch of other content again my name is Ryan thanks for listening